Our lives are made up by many series of moments. Big ones, small ones, some that probably seem like nothing to others, but maybe made a giant impact quietly or loudly on our own life. Some are awful, some are amazing, and some completely change the trajectory of our path. I don't think we're wholly defined by any one thing, but I do think that all the pieces make up who we are. And sometimes these things, these moments, happen to us. But don't you think, looking back, that maybe they were forks in the road? Walk back three steps and see if you could have turned a different way. It's the sliding doors theory, that good old left or right turn. I've had friends politely remind me that it isn't actually a theory, but in fact a Gwyneth Paltrow movie. But if you think about the moments in your life, the ones that stand out, the ones that you always come back to or tell stories about, did you catch the subway or didn't you? I'm Jenny B, and this is it actually. This is it actually. Take a sip and grab a seat. I am so pumped about this episode. I feel like I talk about this a lot, so to finally have an audience to listen to me rant about it is very exciting. Do you ever find yourself in a situation knowing full well how you got there, but wondering how you actually got there? We can plan our lives down to the second, and it doesn't guarantee that anything will go the way our carefully constructed spreadsheet says it will, because that's life. And now, more than ever, it feels like we're right in the middle of some pretty intense defining moments. So, a defining moment is defined as a moment that defines something. Gee, thanks, dictionary. Okay, how's this? It's a point in life when you're urged to make a pivotal decision or when you experience something that fundamentally changes you. I'm no professional, but hello, that's what happened to Gwyneth. <laughs> defining moments can be small decisions, like going to the party you weren't sure you wanted to go to and meeting the man you'll marry. Yep, that was me. Or bigger things like turning down a dream job for a gig that would end up defining the next 20 years of your career. Yep, also me. Sometimes when we're faced with a decision or an experience, it can be agonizing and we lose sleep over it. And sometimes things just happen to us and there's no real decision making involved. But either way, when you look back and see that you were led exactly where you were supposed to be, that is the best. There are so many defining moments in a lifetime. Some are very personal and some are universal. Graduating, getting married, not getting married, having kids, not having kids, getting divorced, leaving a job, starting a new one, taking a trip, getting a diagnosis, going on the date, going to the party, going when you just couldn't see why you should. When I started thinking about my life's defining moments, I mean, where do you start? A few years on this earth offers quite a bit of subject matter, thank goodness for that. But when I honed in on my own personal hopscotch pattern that wound me up here in this place as this person... I can sort of see the clearing. My dad got sick when I was 17 and I didn't really want to go to university because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, so I stayed home and helped my mom take care of him. It didn't ever really feel like a big decision or a burden because I was so unsure about any other path, but I do remember wondering every now and then if I was in the right place. Turns out my mom and I got really close during that time and I got to see my dad in a totally new light in the two years before he passed away. That decision had me leaving home later than most of my friends, which forced me to want to catch up financially and just generally with 20-something independence. So I took my giant basket of life skills and became a full-time server in a medium-sized city, which was a big step for a small-town girl. There I met some of the most amazing, diverse people. They taught me about teamwork and feminism and gay rights and music that wasn't top 40 and staying up late and going to the gym and becoming a version of myself that I didn't know existed. 
All of that was amazing and exactly what's supposed to happen when you leave home for the first time, but it also had me wondering if I was doing enough for myself, if I was learning enough where I was. So I decided to finally try my hand at post-secondary education, which landed me in a radio and television program at the biggest city in the country. But when I got there, I couldn't settle, and with great shame, I dropped out, which led me back to the restaurant. I questioned my decisions so many times, but that job helped me save for two backpacking trips through Europe where I experienced some of my life's most memorable moments. After I'd seen the world, well, the world according to me, and a shitty customer at table 28 sent me over the edge, I quit the restaurant again and decided to go to Toronto again. On a total whim, I dialed the number of a friend I'd become close to back in the university program. By my calculations, class of 98 was about to graduate, and I had full plans of piggybacking on their education and expertise. Her voice was still on the answering machine, so I left a hopeful and giddy message. She called me back straight away, and after we caught up on the previous three years, she told me she knew of a job. She suggested that it might not be the best idea to leave a full-time waitressing job for a six-week driving gig, but I decided to take my chances. And 20 years later, I'm still in the biz. During my second job in TV, which I loved, I was offered a radio job up near my hometown. Radio was always the medium I was interested in, and actually, when I quit university, I remember sort of letting myself off the hook because that was the only part we'd studied before I left, and I figured I didn't need to know anything else. So here I am, working as a production coordinator on Canada's only late-night talk show, having the absolute time of my life, and I get offered my dream job. Away from Toronto, away from my new friends, back to where I grew up. Conflicted doesn't even begin to describe how I felt. So here's what happened. I told my bosses, they sat with it for two days, and they came back with an offer. They wanted to promote me to the music department to help book the musical guests for the show. It was a no-brainer. By the next year, I was the music producer, booking, interviewing, and taking care of musicians on a daily basis. I thought I knew my dream job, but I didn't, because this was it. Our show went on hiatus every summer, and one year our city had a garbage strike and it turned into a rat-infested sewer. Conveniently, I hadn't lined up a summer gig yet, so I took a month and went home to live with my mom. It was a squeaky clean and sober summer comprised of biking, gardening, and going to bed by 10. In early August, I got a call from a girlfriend saying there was going to be a giant surprise birthday party for one of our country's favorite VJs, who was also a friend. I wasn't sure if I was ready to go back to the city. I felt healthy and slightly removed from the somewhat bad behavior we had grown accustomed to on the show. But she twisted my arm and I agreed to go for one drink. We arrived, said some hellos, headed to the bar, and I saw the singer of one of the bands that I regularly booked on the show. I told my friend I was going to say hi and that I'd be right back. I ended up on the dance floor until three and I married that band guy two years later. Sometimes I wonder about the fork in the road. What would have happened if I didn't stay home to take care of dad? Does that mean the rest of my path doesn't get followed? The truth is, I can't think about that other me, because she didn't get on the subway. Emily Dickinson wrote, Forever is composed of nows. And that's it. Your path and your moments are perfect, because you're right here. A few years back, I was very unhappy and underfulfilled in a career that I had spent eight years building, and I knew I was reaching a breaking point. But instead of actually getting to a full breakdown, I began soul searching, and I discovered that my professional passions lie elsewhere. 
there was some back and forth, you know, deciding between staying with the comfort of what was and moving towards the risk of what could be. But if you know me, I don't do things subtly. And uh, this life change took the form of a 3,000 mile move all the way to Los Angeles and really flipping the course of my entire life on its head. And it was the best decision I ever made. It taught me not only to let go of situations that don't serve me anymore, but that the biggest rewards come from the biggest risk. And I'm living proof of it. I've always been wound up pretty tight. You know, some might even venture to say controlling. (laughs) And I think part of that was my deep-rooted insecurities that started in childhood. I mean, there are so many things that held me back in my life. And so I did decide to audition for a show called Big Brother Canada. And I wanted to put myself out there and do something that I'd always wanted to do, but always been too scared to do. There are so many reasons why making that first step is life-defining and life-changing, but Big Brother specifically because of the lack of control, because of what you give up and what you sacrifice to go be there, and then the lessons you learn while you're there. There's a lot of emotional trauma in some way that happens while you're there and a lot of strength that you have to gain um, by being completely by yourself and having zero control of what's going on around you, what's happening with your family, your kids, you come home a different person. There are some pieces that are slightly more broken that you now have the ability to work through, but there's a lot of strength that comes from putting yourself in that type of situation. Big Brother Canada was a huge life-defining moment for me. I was in the hospital room when my grandfather was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer and likely only had weeks left to live. I remember that I felt helpless as I watched him suffer from the symptoms caused by his cancer and struggled to find the words to help him create a space so that he could tell his story. I thought I went into medicine to treat people to help them live longer, to survive. I grew up watching medical dramas and the heroes are always wearing white coats in the emergency department saving lives. But throughout my training and from my experience with my grandfather, I found my calling in helping people live better in whatever time they have left, even if time is short. I do this as a palliative care doctor in Toronto. One thing that surprised me is that our patients have so many other priorities besides living longer. And what I love about palliative care is that it prioritizes quality of life, finding ways to live better now, feeling good now, making new memories now that will be around forever. 11 years ago, my boyfriend at the time ended our relationship that I was blindly convinced was meant to be forever. After I thought I'd built myself back up again, my 34-year-old brother unexpectedly died. It was extremely complicated, and I didn't really understand grief or mourning, so while I was helping to plan his funeral, I was still working and was even showing up for work meetings. It had become my MO to throw myself into work when life was overwhelming. It wasn't until literally five months to the day of his death I was hit by a car while I was riding my bike to work. Luckily, the only injury was my job, which was so shattered they couldn't wire it shut, so I had to just go home and let it heal on its own. I had no choice but to sit at my apartment with only my thoughts. I fell pretty hard into a depression, but that was the first time I started to rebuild myself from the inside out. I started to look at life completely differently. I started to really see people. It's also the reason I was able to see my amazing husband for who he is, and I believe I'm a ten times better mother because of it. 
It's still a work in progress, but I'm strangely grateful for being hit by a car because I think something bigger than me was trying to slow me down over the years, and that was the only thing that worked. I can clearly see how my life did a hard right turn after that moment. After graduating university and traveling Europe, I started working at a placement agency. Before vision boards were a thing, I wrote a list of my likes. Top of the list was fashion magazines. Every single one of them, like 12 a month. I loved everything about them, but especially the Calvin Klein ads. So I decided to call Calvin Klein Canada. It is such a very long story, but after a year of calling every week, begging to meet the regional, national, and president, I landed a four-month maternity leave, which turned into a full-time position. Eventually, I was in charge of key accounts, launching brands like Escape and CK1. Calvin Klein offered to pay for my MBA, but I knew I was there because of the ads. I proposed photography night school while I continued working full-time in sales. This amazing company supported my dream. In 1998, I made the decision to leave the best company in the world to start my own photography business. I never looked back. I always tell people to keep moving towards what you want. Don't settle. Even in times like today, uncertainty does not scare me. I just think of myself as 90 years of age, talking to my younger self and saying, why didn't you just go for it? That's all the motivation I need. I had a girlfriend and she became a wife for one year of our 10-year uh, relationship. We ended up getting divorced and it was a real, real low time for me. And I had to start over and there was a lot of questioning of myself, my values, what I did and didn't do during these times. But I realized we have to use everything to get stronger and learn and grow from it. And maybe even a bigger message was I had to leave. And it eventually got to a point for me where leaving became the only answer. It was really difficult, but I guess in a way it was an extension of my love for her, which is really weird to say. But sometimes some things just aren't meant to be, regardless of how much we may love them. I'm taking this voice memo. I'm now living in Canada. I've had amazing opportunities present themselves to me. You have to just keep moving forward, give life a chance to happen, and, you know, good things can and will happen. I came in Canada from France in September 1998 to work on a film production. I'd broken up with my boyfriend in Paris after a five-year relationship, and I just needed to leave Paris behind for a little bit to travel, to work in a different place, to learn new things. I accepted this one-year contract, and I felt that I would be back in Paris fresh and healed. Little did I know that I would meet Paul a week after my arrival in Toronto. After a month, we were madly in love and we were a couple. When I went back in Paris at Christmas time, at this point I would have been in Toronto for four months, I gave everything I owned to the Red Cross. I just knew. The Easter hiatus of 1999 was very defining too. Paul and I did a two-week road trip between BC and Alberta. And while we were in Banff, we decided to get married. We just couldn't be separated. We came back in Toronto, announced it to our families. And my parents flew in Toronto to meet my husband two days before our wedding, 22 years ago. And it's been an incredible ride. I have to say that leaving my country, my continent, my language, family and friends has been the easiest thing I've done. And it's not because I'm not missing all of them, but it's because it was obviously where I belonged and it was the person I could live this life with. And for this, I'm forever grateful. This is a tip, actually. 
My tip is this, let it be whatever it is, that moment, that decision, that thing. Sometimes it's terrifying. Sometimes it's liberating. Sometimes you just have to follow the path, whether you want to or not. You will likely come out the other side a different person, and you will look back and see that it was exactly what it was supposed to be. I'm telling you, Sliding Doors is not just a Gwyneth Paltrow movie, it's a thing, and doing this episode proved that to me. Thank you to my friends Patrick, Sarah, Warren, Carolyn, Drew, Michelle, and Muriel for sharing their unbelievable stories. This podcast is nothing without them, and I am so eternally grateful. In my life, I've heard hilarious, heartwarming, heartbreaking, sad, and beautiful stories, and I want to hear more of them, and I want to talk about them. You can send your stories and ideas and just general good words to thisisitactually at gmail.com. And you can also see stuff and follow along on Instagram at thisisitactually and Twitter at thisisitactual. The title was too long for them. Message me cool stuff, but not dumb or rude stuff, because obviously, thanks for listening. Now go say something nice to someone. This is it, actually. Take a sip and grab a seat. 